Let's Get Two presents Go, Go Astros! Go, Go Astros! A focus on H-Town Hardball. And we're back here on Go, Go Astros. Our, our kind of, uh, in the parlance, Brian, of our, um, the way we do TV now, this would be our mid-season finale, I guess. Our mid-preseason finale. Is there going to be a cliffhanger ending? I, and if so, you should have not. scripted that, but let me know ahead of time. We'll find out. We'll find out. No, I do want to talk about something kind of weird. And um, I prepped you for it, but I think what I what I learn as we market this show and our other shows that I'm not really built for Twitter. Um, I don't possess the ability to let things go, and I don't I don't possess the ability to sort of. Um, not try to be, I don't want to say intellectual, but I like to have conversations that matter. Yes. Yeah. That's one of the strengths of the show. It's one of the strengths of the show. And it's also one of the strengths of the show that this spun off of, because this is really the Frasier to let's get to cheers for all my people, my age out there. So I had a tweet the other day and. Oh dear. I'm the nows of the show then. You're not, does that make, does that make Andy Norm? I think he would love that actually. He would, he would. Yeah. It's a dog eat dog world and he's uh, wearing milk bone underwear, underwear. Um, Andy's actually not with us today, so we can, we can make those jokes. But um, so I had a tweet the other day that I thought was innocuous enough and I stand by the tweet and I'm gonna explain why I stand by the tweet, but um, I just basically highlighted um, the, all the different kinds of baseball that are lockout proof that are not going to be affected by the lockout. Um, and it was in response to so many baseball fans being worried about baseball being gone. Um, what happened, you know, and admittedly, it was just a few people. The, the tweet itself has 189 likes, 49 retweets, nine quote tweets, and most of the quote tweets are positive. But a lot of people sort of branded us and me as being anti-labor. And I don't, I don't quite understand that. Yeah, I mean... Baseball is supposed to be fun, right? And we know there are lots of elements where it's not, right? And the lockout is at the top of the list here because it's, you know, arguing about money and arguing about money is a necessity in life, but it's never fun, right? Uh, yeah. Even when it's even when it's important. Um, and you know, part of the part of the thing about other forms of baseball, right? And you highlighted not only minor league baseball, but independent league baseball. And I think you had the uh, Cape Cod League, either you talked about there, or I know you've, uh, you're going to that sometime soon, uh, sometime this summer. These are all sorts of extra, you know, extra forms of baseball. They're available to a lot of us in communities, unfortunately in fewer communities than there were a couple of years ago. Yeah. But um, again, the business part keeps, you know, messing up the fun part. Um, but these are all things that again, we get out there to go and to enjoy and you know is it everything we want to see in baseball of course not is it a fun part of baseball absolutely and i think it's worth noting there are all sorts of different ways to enjoy baseball and we shouldn't try to limit you know one of the i think pieces of wisdom i've learned over my time is we shouldn't limit how people try to enjoy stuff and we should let them do that on their own and be open to all sorts of different experiences. Yeah, and there's a couple of things I want to unpack about what you said and about the, the big complaints. And I think we'll start with, I can't speak for you directly. I can guess that for the most part, 
you, me, and Andy are relative are for the most part pro player in this instance. I think absolutely. Uh, obviously, I think the owners have some legitimate points that should be addressed, but for the most part, we are not pro owner. Absolutely. And you know, my perspective is uh, Jim Crane. I'm an Astros fan. I think Jim Crane's done a pretty good job as an owner. Uh, I've never seen Jim Crane hit a home run. No, I've never seen him strike out a batter. Jim Crane doesn't entertain me. Jose Altuve entertains me. Luis Garcia entertains me. Ryan Presley entertains me. Um, and you know, the dollars I pay for my Astros gear and for my major league tickets, I'd rather they go to those guys than to Jim Crane, who seems to be doing pretty well. And let's be honest, uh, as a, I'm, I'm a long Cowboys fan. Um, you can ask me whether I thought Jerry Jones was a good owner at different parts of that ownership time. And my answer would be very, very different. Absolutely. But I care about watching, you know, from my childhood, Emmett Smith and Troy Aikman. I don't really care about watching Jerry Jones. In fact, I, the less I see him, the better. So um, I think true for, it's true for, true for so many owners, but especially for Jerry Jones, but especially for Jerry Jones. Um, the other thing though, that I wanted to unpack, and this is the thing that I think really bugged me the most about it was the number of people um, who sort of piled onto this concept that all these other forms of baseball are somehow exploitive because the team, the players are either not paid enough or in the case of collegiate summer leagues, not allowed to be paid. And a couple of things I would want to address on that is first of all, um, those leagues are, are, are like internships to get to your next job. And I don't understand where we've turned in this culture where the concept of an internship is an awful thing, but that's kind of where we are. But um, college baseball players that are not pitchers are not ready for the major leagues coming out of college because simply the bat's different and it's a big deal. Yeah, and they're 20 and they need to develop. And they'll be better when they're 23 and it's a pretty rare you know, the, the number of players who've gone without minor league baseball is exceedingly rare. And I think the last one's Mike Leak. And so, you know, that's always go. Yeah. I mean, players need to develop. And again, it's a different environment, obviously, in minor league baseball from a competitive standpoint, because the players are all controlled by the major leagues, by the major league organization. And they put, you know, a number of limits on those players. So, you know, it's not the same thing, but this is part of why minor league franchises so much embrace, you know, having a fun time at the ballpark, having lots of promotions, having all the stuff that you like to highlight on the let's get to show of, Hey, here's a fun way to spend your time at the ball at the ball yard. Here's the thing you can take your, you know, your kids to of whatever age and have something enjoyable. And, and that's a, that's a great part of baseball. I'm, you know, I'm a college baseball fan. I am a particular fan of LSU because again, my family has a, has roots there and LSU has a really good college baseball team, yeah, but yeah. I particularly come to like college baseball since I've moved up here to the North because college baseball is going to start this year on February 18th. And I enjoy watching college baseball in the middle of February because I'm freezing up here and it's a bunch of people doing a warm summer thing that is much <laughs> more fun. And it helps me remember that it's not going to stay cold here forever. <laughs> no matter how much it seems like that. Again, you know, our viewers in, in Houston, you know, viewers in Houston and viewers in Texas won't quite have that same perspective. I didn't when I lived down there, but it's uh, something particularly valuable to me. I should note that baseball will be played at Minute Maid Park. 
because uh, on March 4th, 5th, and 6th is the Astros College Classic uh, mm -hmm. featuring teams like Texas, your favorite team, and LSU will be playing each other. They're both ranked top 10 walking into the season here. So the yeah. big game, Baylor, Oklahoma, LSU, Tennessee uh, will be at this year. Again, is it the same quality of baseball that we'll see with the Astros? Well, again, I watched Alex Bregman in college and he was really good in college. I've watched him in the pros. He's much better in the pros. He's much better now, yeah. He's developed and, you know, he's, he's developed and he's, you know, more mature and stronger as a 27 year old than he was as a 20 year old, but he's really good at both. And it's fun to watch him all throughout his career. I think one of the other things too, that the complaint of calling minor league baseball, and, and they were really focused mostly on independent and the collegiate summer league stuff. Cause again, in summer leagues, you can't pay the players due to NCAA. Although, I mean, those players are now making money through name image and likeness. And I'm sure that all factors, but either way, um and calling it exploitive is i don't i think whoever i think some people don't understand and this was put on display in the pandemic so well when the pandemic was really hitting and everything was shut down these are all small businesses who make their money on the margins and they were still there for their communities while they weren't sure and then if you're an affiliated team you also were living under the i don't know if we're going to be around because of contraction yet they were still there for the communities they're anchors of some of these small towns and i think to not understand that and just think that baseball should be relegated to 30 major league cities is missing the point of the game. I think in my, in, in my opinion. Yeah. Baseball is fun. And that's true. You know, if I look out this window here, there's a, uh, there's a little league field across the street for me. It's just fun to walk over there sometimes and watch them play. And frankly, watch the parents try to get ner you know, get nervous uh, in the stands. Uh, and it's fun to watch, you know, high level stuff and everything sort of in between and again it doesn't have to be every part of this doesn't have to be for everybody we can enjoy different things for different reasons but you know one thing i've learned over time let's not crap on people for enjoying the stuff they enjoy let yeah. them enjoy it because you know what as you point out here right good things happen from the fact that people enjoy baseball that isn't just major league baseball within these communities and that's a that's a positive thing for and let's talk too. i mean some of these I, I was thinking about some of the communities like uh you know the binghamton rumble ponies that's an, they, they lost major industry it's an economically depressed town giving them a three-hour break a day you know middle america we have it, we fly over country all of that stuff we we know what's happening but yeah that's i just wanted to start with that because um i'm, I'm a big i can't let it go guy uh, and i try to engage politely and then it was a double down situation. So I just changed the channel. But speaking of changing the channel, Brian, um, you know, Andy famously on Joys of Mudville re referred to uh, Rob Manford as gaslighting everybody with all of this stuff about uh, the MLB, the, the players union rejected the mediator. Um, I understand why, because they never actually got counter offers from ML. Where, where do you see it all going now, particularly with that move? Yeah, I mean, my sort of read between the lines is the reason the owners asked for the mediator was to create further delays. You know, they had sort of two advantages. One, they get this PR win because they get to say, we asked for a mediator and the players rejected it. What a bunch of, you know, I can't believe they rejected this. Um, you know, mediating between what you're not making offers, you're not working to <laughs> right. compromise, you're taking a bunch of stuff off the table. Uh, you know, and then secondly, you know, hey, we can create more delays in this, which 
the point of pain for the players is when they stop getting paycheck, when they don't get, so players don't get paid in the off season. They get paid, their payroll starts essentially on opening day. And I guess they get paid every two weeks or twice a month or, you know, I'm going to get a daily paycheck, but they get, you know, you know, money from that. You know, obviously there are plenty of players who have a lot of money and have saved it, you know, but again, as we've talked about here before, a ton of players, a higher share in baseball than anywhere else are minimum salary players. Mm-hmm. People who have made you know, not a lot of money in the minor leagues because again, they get really, you know, low pay. Near, yeah. They get low pay, whatever sort of term. We to add Unless you're a bonus baby. And most of the people we're talking about aren't bonus no. babies. Yeah. No. And so if you came up, if you were called up last season, yeah, you get to make a minimum that is well above the average person's, but still you haven't saved up a lot of that money yet. Um, and so, you know, the players union's doing stuff to deal with that. What's been clear to, what's become more clear to me over time, and I think you and Andy were on this before I was, is the strategy of the owners is to try to delay as much as possible to force the, you know, to try to put pressure on the players and try to make them threaten their paychecks as a way to create leverage uh, against the owners, which again, makes sense when you think about it was something I was hoping they were trying to avoid because well, they lose some money too, but they're heavily invested in the strategy. It seems like it seems, yeah, it seems like, and I don't know if this is the case or not, but it seems like Rob Manfred and the 30 MLB owners look at the relationship the NFL has with its players, which is much weaker Uh, And that's, I think, what they want ultimately. And if they're playing a long game, this would be the way to do it. I think everything we saw from the way the Astros were treated to deciding to check balls halfway through to letting it leak, that there were two different balls, all those things, I think, were designed to cause infighting in the union. Yeah, which is, again, a standard strategy of essentially war, right? Um, probably war is too strong an analogy here, right? But again, I want to create divisions in my oh, yeah. opponent so that they are weaker and therefore I create leverage with that. And again, you know, what's harder for the players to do is to create leverage against the owners. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One is there's only 30 owners. It's easier to organize and have solidarity among 30 people than it is among six, seven. I guess it's 40 man rosters. So it's 40 by 30. That's and I gave 1,200 players who were part of the union. And so you've got a lot of different people with lots of different interests among 1,200 people, plus just coordinating 1,200 people is really hard. What does seem to be the case is that the Players Association have developed more solidarity over the last few years. So there's few signs of that cracking. There has been money put aside by the Players Association for essentially strike funds. So hopefully that will, you know, you know, again, we're pro player. Hopefully that'll increase the resolve of the player. So they're willing to take out a few paychecks. And, you know, if Justin Verlander misses a paycheck, he'll be fine, right? Carlos Correa misses a paycheck, he'll be fine, right? But if, you know... Um, Justin's got that Kate Upton money. He's okay. No, and, and just he's actually really unique in the sense that his wife can make millions of dollars and that's not the case for the rest of them. So he's probably not the best example here, but he's an example at one extreme. But uh, Jake Myers or Chaz McCormick, if we go through the Astros roster of some of the most recent, you know, uh, some of the most recent call-ups, um, their players who, yeah, can you, you know, can you give me a few bucks here to make sure I can stand? And if you do that, hey, I'm with you, you know, 
you know, I'm with you at the top of this. Yeah. And I think it's the strategy. Um, I, I think we saw the writing on the wall with the way the owners responded to the pandemic. Um, when, and what's notable is they haven't been chastened by that. They essentially lost that, you know, they essentially lost that round. And they haven't been chastened. And you know, the players are more unified than we thought before. Um, and instead we're getting, you know, if things continue the way they are, you know, the, the players' proposals don't seem all that radical to me. And but it's the owners who've been increased, it's the owners who've been increasing their profits. Revenues have gone up much more substantially, you know, on a higher rate in the last uh, six, seven years than, um, than salaries. So unless you're really dumb, which, you know, several owners who I question that, but, uh, you know, unless you're really dumb, you're making more money, yet it's the owners who are more radical in their sort of look at this, yeah, look at this, you know, in, in their negotiating strategies. Yeah, and I don't, um, it's, it's interesting to see how it'll break out. It looks like right now, though, there's no chance spring training starts on time. I mean, it's supposed to start in 10 days, right? Yeah. So, yeah, one of the uh, one of the cruelest things I ever to tell after the World Series, right? My wife was trying to cheer me up by saying pitchers and catchers report. You know, she looked up pitchers and catchers report on whichever day, and like, honey, thank you. I'm not feeling good right now. Yeah. And just watch the last out of the World Series, but. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not. They're not actually. I don't think you're going to report on that day. There's going to be a lockout here, and no one on the no one on the forty man is like you might get minor league spring training starting on time, but again, which again fits to what we're talking about earlier, right? Minor league, you know, minor league spring training will happen, and minor league games will happen. Um, So again, there will be some baseball for us to watch. College baseball starts in a couple weeks, but the big stuff, yeah, they're in a real contentious situation and still going to take a while to resolve it so i guess before as we wrap up then you know let's put on your uh, your swami hat your your prognosticator of prognosticators um we're going to take two weeks off for the film festival so we're going to be back two weeks from today um or three weeks from today i guess where do you think are we, you think we're going to be in the same spot we're in or do you think we'll start to see some kind of light at the end of the tunnel um i'm sure we'll have more negotiations between then and now, I'm sure people will, you know, and it's often in these things darkest before the dawn, in part because so much of this is sort of brinksmanship. You need to go sort of the brink. And, you know, it negotiations are a little bit like a game of chicken. You know, we just hope they don't drive the cars off the cliff. Um, well, let they, me let me ask you that then, because, and I know it sort of just came to my head, but this is actually the first time baseball has been through this in the age of social media too, mm-hmm. where uh, it feels like we're getting real-time updates. And when those updates are, there's no update. You know, I don't remember what it was like in 94 when you were, uh, you'd read it in the Chronicle and then you'd find out whether baseball is happening again. I think it's part, it's part of it, right? Yeah, no, it's certainly part of the story here. And public opinion has a very sort of, part of that public opinion has a different feel. Also, it feels to me like there's a larger cohort of people. This is particularly true on Twitter. And I don't know if it's just my Twitter feed or something in general, but among, you know, you know, I think among the most high-level baseball fans, there tends to be a lot more support for the players and a lot less pox on both your houses than there were in 94. 
Now, again, that may just be limited to a particular segment. Maybe sure. I'm overexposed to that segment. And, you know, public opinion is a weird thing on these, this thing because, you know, you know, does my opinion as someone who, you know, writes and podcasts and comments about baseball and thinks about it on a daily basis, is my opinion more worthwhile than, you know, you know, a guy who goes to four or five games a year and, you know, listens to talk radio about it once and, and listen, you know, watches a game every, you know, game once a week. I don't know. Right. You know, the, 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 we're, we're both sort of constituents here to this and, you know, I mean, in elections, we all count the same, right. This is a yeah, little bit right, different. Right. The public opinion part of this year is a little bit different than again, who has influence uh, matter. I'm doing too much of my lectures from political science class here um, on. Uh, it's fascinating though. This but, year, right. But yeah, no, it's a question to sort of think about here. Um, you know, and again, there's plenty of people who's just, just get this over with and get me baseball. And, you know, as we talked about if whatever, you know, storm and drum they have here, they're able to get a resolution and they're able to start on opening day. People won't remember. People won't remember this in six months, and that's that's fine. How do you think, though? I mean, are are do you feel like we're looking heading we're heading toward another Mickey Mouse season like twenty twenty, or do you feel like do you still see a world where one sixty two happens? I'm not. I'm more pessimistic about one sixty two. But if we have a hundred forty four game season, is that a Mickey Mouse season? No, no. I mean, yeah, yeah. I would think. 60 feels like the like i think anything under 100 games becomes mickey mouse yeah yeah and so that's probably you know this is one difference between here and 94 and part of why you know part of why the dynamics are different the the strike you know part of why the owners lock the players out is so that the players couldn't strike in the middle of the season where it creates more pressure on the owners uh the good news for us a few times I'll say good news about something the owners have done is that makes the the pain point in April and not as it was in 1994 in October and uh, if they screw up in April and don't get it to May okay yeah you know, we get base we get we get plenty of baseball uh, less than we like but we get plenty of baseball you know they struck in August of 1994 and when they couldn't get it done by October we had nothing. There's no 1994 World Series. There is a, you know, alternate timeline in which the Expos win that World Series. They sign Tom Brady when they draft him out of uh, out of high school. And, you know, there's a whole different timeline about you know, <laughs> two different sports. Yeah, two different sports. Does does make the question, though, Does is, is Justin Verlander really the GOAT? Because I think Kate Upton greater than Giselle. But that's just me. Um I guess I will, say, thing- I, I will say this here, every bit of sort of thing on social media, it's like they seem to be a really fabulous couple and are really into each other. And that has continued for many years. So, I mean, know. yeah, they survived, the wrong- you know, the famous leak they survived. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, I think that they are not a typical Hollywood couple yeah. and I think it's awesome to see, um, I guess yeah. really, really and truly last thing. Um, despite not having Carlos Correa on the projected roster, the Astros are still projected by fan graphs to win the division by 10 games anchored mostly by the pitching staff. Um, shocking to you or, or kind of what you've been thinking? The biggest thing that was interesting to me. So these are worth making some caveats here. These are, well, Hey, since we have the lockout and we have the freeze right now, we can make projections. Mm-hmm. Uh, so obviously things will change after the lockout ends and more signings to be made. Correa will sign somewhere and, 
a whole bunch of other free agents will and trades will happen. But at the moment, right, it speaks, um, it speaks as much. The Astros had were projected for 91 wins. Uh, the guy literally runs a million computer programs to estimate each season. So there are some of those where the Astros win 100 and some where they win 95 and some where they win 81. Um, 91's the average, so it won't necessarily be that. But the more interesting part here is the rest of the division did really poorly. Uh, the Angels are in second place at 81 wins, and yeah. you know the rest of the teams are sort of follow right, uh, right behind that. And it kind of speaks to sort of what I think about um, you know the team this year, sort of looking into the division. Um, I'm not sure they're going to win 95 games again. I'm not sure who in the division is strong enough to challenge them and to win 90 games unless they get a fluky season like the Mariners did last year. And I'm skeptical that'll happen uh, for, for any of those teams. I think their biggest threat, the second place team in that was the Angels. And the biggest threat to the Astros is the Angels get average play from all the rest of their players and a healthy year from all their stars. It's theoretically got to happen one of these years. Right? <laughs> one of these years it has to. All right. Well, that will wrap us up, Brian. Thanks so much for jumping on. We do uh, wish Andy well a quick recovery. Uh, but yes, we'll be indeed. back. We'll be back after President's Day, after the Austin Revolution Film Festival. Go Strohs. All right. Go Strohs. And uh, everyone go see the Austin Revolution Film Festival. Can't wait till it's over. <laughs>